Well, hi, everybody. Good morning. It's great to see you. Happy New Year. You know, it's kind of hard to believe that this year has flown by, good, bad, and ugly. It's almost in the rearview mirror, and uh, it seems like the older I get, the more these things go by quicker. I know that time is constant when you do not approach the speed of light, but it seems like as you get older, it goes faster. Who's with me? Anybody? Okay, this is going to have some nerd references in it, so just hold on. Uh, I, I just wanted to say, though, before it's officially over with, take a moment to celebrate what happened last weekend. We came off one of our most exciting holiday Christmas weekends ever in the history of Cornerstone Fellowship. Um, this has never happened before, but all five of our campuses set attendance records at the same weekend. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, 10,000 plus folks came and, and, and uh, heard Pastor Steve's fabulous message. You know, at three of our campuses, though, it got crazy up in there, guys. Crazy, because in Brentwood and Walnut Creek and Hayward, we straight up ran out of chairs, okay? More people than chairs. So it was crazy. We call it blessed pandemonium, okay? That's probably describing your life a little bit, but that definitely described uh, our services. But, you know, Steve's message was really impactful. We heard from our prayer teams that folks came forward, people came forward to uh, recommit their lives to Christ, to come back to faith, which was exciting. And then other folks came forward to receive prayer because, you know, the holiday season can just stir up a lot of brokenness. And so people were really responding. And, you know, God's just faithful to us. He's so faithful. But speaking of faithfulness, I wanted to also take a moment to say thank you to all of our volunteers who served last weekend and really every single weekend. You know, to make a service happen at Cornerstone, it takes a small army of people. We've got volunteers who are serving everywhere at all of our campuses in kid ministry, student ministries, hospitality, uh, parking lot team, ushers, hosts, setup, teardown, production, worship. I'm missing some. But it's, it's spectacular, the, the amount of love and effort that's poured into this place. And really what's happening is we're creating an environment for folks to come in and feel welcomed and feel loved so that they can hear the message of hope that uh, the gospel brings. And so I want to say thank you, and we're all going to say thank you. We're going to give a big hand, a big round of applause to all of our volunteers. Thank you, guys. All right, open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We are going to be talking about faith today. And while you're turning there, and by the way, look at this big banner. That's the topic. If you get lost in the train of thought, just look up. And by the way, that has a Star Wars font to it, doesn't it? A little bit. That, that blessed me, man. That was, that was a blessing. That blessed my heart. But, you know, things ended well for us at, at Cornerstone in 2017. But we believe that 2018 is going to be an incredible strategic year for Cornerstone. You know, we've been working on some projects for many years, and they're, they're culminating in the next 12 months. For example, we've got our Brentwood building. We've been working on that building for 10 years, okay, a decade, and we're about three months out from moving in. And it's gorgeous, guys. It's beautiful, and it's really central. It's strategic. We've got 35,000 cars driving by our new building every single day and counting as Brentwood grows. And so we're really, really thrilled about the prospects of continuing to impact even more people. Also, we have our Brentwood, uh, excuse me, our Walnut Creek facility. Uh, we're going to start construction in the next 12 months. And so that's another strategic place. The Walnut Creek campus is growing. It's, it's so great. By the way, this is Walnut Creek. We have a building in Walnut Creek. Man, this ain't Stockton, yo. This is Walnut Creek, right? This is a miracle. 
This is a miracle. Should I said Bakersfield? Should I said Lodi? Should I said Visalia? What should I have? Show? Is, is, is it okay? Okay, I'll just stop. Bethel Island? No, I'll stop. Okay. And, and so having a facility there is going to be incredible. And so we're thrilled. Also, what's coming up next year, next week, actually, the start of next year, is our brand new teaching series in the book of Mark. And I got to tell you, this is, this is a fabulous series. Uh, we, we are studying the very first gospel that was written. You know, you, know, you may know this, but the gospel of Luke and the gospel of Matthew are based off of Mark's work. And anytime somebody does something first, man, that's like, they're genius, right? Genius level. Mark was a genius. He was a total genius. And we're going to study how Jesus transforms lives. And when Jesus meets people in Mark in this gospel, it's incredible. And we're going we're gonna to grow so much together. We've got an incredible year. So much more than that. That's just a little foretaste of it. Also, your life, we know, your life, you're looking forward to things with anticipation and excitement in your family, in your marriage, at your job. Maybe you own a company or your work group or your neighborhood, or perhaps we have some teachers in here, your, your students, your teams that you coach. And so there's a lot of horizons that folks can have faith for, and so I wanted to talk about faith because if we're going to really realize the dreams and the visions that God has for us, we can't do it on our own strength, can we? We just can't. It's not possible in our own human efforts. And so therefore, we need to rely on God. We need to trust on God. We've got to depend on God to move, uh, which is what this slide is going to say in just a second here. Let's get this first one up. And here we go. Oh, good. All right, here we go. We have to do these things, okay, in order to realize, because unless God moves, we're toast. We can't do it. Now, another word for all of these things, the process by which a person goes to trust God is called faith, of course. And so, guys, we need a fully activated faith to get where he wants us to go. Now, Hebrews 11, you're there. This is the classic text in Scripture on the topic of faith. Uh, we learn about the nature of faith what faith looks like, what faith doesn't look like, how to get faith when faith wanes in your life. And there's all sorts of nuances to this wonderful topic. Now, the Bible, of course, is a big book on faith, but here we find the teaching is most concentrated. It's most concentrated form. So today, what we're gonna do is just drop into some selected passages and draw out some, some applications. So how does that sound? That's where we're headed. Let's start then our journey today, and we're gonna read uh, the first three verses of chapter 11, here in Hebrews. Here's what this says. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. These are some profound words. These are some very profound words and gives us a little bit of a sort of grand vision of what faith is as it defines it. First thing I wanna, I wanna just tease out of this is I want you to notice that the author here assumes something very important. Hebrews 11 assumes that faith is resident in people, in all people. Faith is, is there. 
It's in a person's life. It's in a person's heart. It's part of the makeup of what it means to be a human being. And scripture affirms this throughout cover to cover, cover but we, we, we see this. And theologians, what they say is one of the attributes and the distinctives of human beings as opposed to compared to other you know, animals or whatever animals uh, is this capacity, this ability to believe and to trust and to rely on something that's beyond yourself to accomplish something. It's hardwired. And so the teaching is very simple. It's faith resides in each individual. Faith resides in you. Now, my background I've talked about this a little bit. My background was not a Christian background. I grew up in more of a secular home. And uh, I wasn't taught this at all. I wasn't taught this view. I was actually taught a different view that faith was more of like an inborn talent in a person. And, and as such, some people sort of had it and others didn't have it. Kind of like um, some people are born with athleticism, yeah? And some people aren't. Some people are. Who, is any, who has athleticism in here? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm just mostly teasing you, all right? We wish we did, but we don't. But some people have it. Uh, some people have musical talents, too. They pick up a microphone, they can sing, or they're just, there's a ukulele or an instrument or a, you know, a piano, and then it's bam, and they're just making music. Others don't have that. Or the talent like artistry and painting. My, my mom, my, my mom, she's such a beautiful lady. She is an incredible artist. She has these gifts of creating art and paintings and you give her a pad of paper and a pencil and in 20 minutes she's got this drawing that you're just like, where did that even come from? It's gorgeous. And then what she'll do at birthdays and Christmas and stuff is she'll send us cards that she has painted, their original artwork, and we have them all over our house because it's so incredible. I gotta tell you though, I didn't get one shred of that, okay? I got none of that. I got none of that. I got more like the math talent, right? The, the math talent. I didn't get any artistry at all. In fact, it's hilarious. Sometimes my mom and I just look at each other and we're like, how did you get? It's like, are we really related to each other? Like, is this, are you really my mother? Did, was I switched at birth? And she says the same thing to me. You know, it's pretty funny. Um, and so it's, it's just interesting, though, how these talents kind of parse out, right? But that's not how faith is. That's not how faith is. Some people view that as being analogous to faith, like, oh, it's so nice, you have faith. I, I, you know, I think it's ad admirable. I, I don't have that. That's just not me. I, I wish I could paint watercolors. I can't, but you can. How nice for you. It's very, I'm, I'm admiring that, but that's just not me. Okay, the problem is with that view is that it's, it's a distorted view according to Hebrews 11. Faith is not a talent that some people have and others don't. There's not a person on the planet who's born, who's breathing air that doesn't have faith. We all have it, you have it. You, you've probably exercised faith at least 30 times in just getting to church. You had some faith that the chair that you're sitting on right now was reasonably able to structurally support your weight, didn't you? And so there's just faith, these assumptions. Uh, you have it, you just do. Now consider scientists, because some people will say, well, what about science? Science and faith are diametrically opposed. I beg to differ, because the scientific method, right, which is the process by which scientists empirically prove a theory, guess what, it starts with a theory. It starts with a belief that a scientist have that, that, that this may be the way it is, or this may not be the way it is, a hunch, a guess, a belief, a, a concept, a dream, and so what they do is set out uh, to, to prove that, to disprove that. So even science is essentially based on this idea of faith and belief. So materialists and rationalists and atheists ultimately 
place their trust in certain propositions that require faith. Denying the existence of God takes just as much faith as asserting it. And so my atheist friends have just as much faith as I do. So the question isn't faith or no faith. Oh, I was born with it, I don't have it, or I wasn't, you do, da 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 That's not a thing. That's not a thing, you guys. So, really, that leaves us only with the question of where. Where are you going to put the faith that you have? Where are you going to put it? Where am I believing? What am I trusting in? What am I really depending on? What forces am I leaning into? What am I hoping in? Is it God? Is it myself? Is it human systems? Is it structures? Is it the universe will just sort of balance out in my favor? Is it, is it luck? Is it like, well, is it more like a karma kind of effect? Like, okay, what comes around goes around. Is that what we're trusting in? Is that what we're leaning into? But the point is, is that we're gonna put our faith into something. And so let's apply this. Let's apply this biblically because Hebrews immediately in the flow of thought here gives us a category in which faith is applied. Let's look at this. Let's look back down at verse three now. It's on the screen or you can read it on your Bibles. Here's what it says again. It says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. Or we could say it another way, so that what is seen was made out of what is invisible. And so this is, if you want to sort of deconstruct this a little bit, this is what we call a cosmological proposition. Now, cosmology is a $5 word for the origins of the universe. Have you heard this term before, cosmology? Cosmologists? Are usually, they're usually like astrophysicists or people that sort of work down at the, at the lab, you know, those kind of level geek nerds. By the way, I think the lab in Livermore was the motivation for Stranger Things. I think it's all based on what goes on down there. That's just a theory, we can talk about that afterwards. So the origins of the universe are brought up. Now this is a contemporary topic, and we're reading a 2,000 year old text. So how relevant is the Bible? How relevant is the Bible? How contemporary of a topic is this? Now in Bible times, the predominant cosmological theory that was floating around came from the Greeks. Now, the Greeks said this, that all matter spontaneously appeared out of nowhere. And that's what a lot of people believed. And so the Greeks, you may have heard this, they had this idea of this essential forces, and so there's air and fire and water and soil and this sort of quintessential forces and, and matter. And, and they said that the universe, all this got here because it just sort of bloomed out of nothing. Something came from nothing. It just bloomed out of nothing. Okay. How far are we away from that now? Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like something that's being kind of believed in today? Well, it's very similar, actually. Even though we're more scientifically advanced, there is a view, a cosmological view, a proposition called scientific naturalism, and that asserts this that the cosmos has always been a closed system of material causes and effects, and that closed system can never be influenced from the outside because there is no such thing as the supernatural. There's no such thing as God, which is all just a fancy way of saying that everything bloomed out of nothing. But the Bible, 
the Bible actually puts forth a different cosmological argument, and it says that matter and space and time and flowers and people and watercolor paintings and lattes, all of this stuff is all here because of a supernatural intelligence. And all of this has a purpose. And for a lot of people, quite frankly, that like makes a lot more sense than the alternative cosmological arguments of something bloomed out of nothing. So if we're gonna sort of break this down just for a minute, here's what the Hebrews 11 Universe origins theory tells us three propositions. First of all, that the universe had a beginning. It just did. There's a beginning to the universe. And the beginning of that universe was caused. That's the second idea. And then to bring it home, the cause of the universe beginning was a loving God. Now, this is a way to organize things about how things are in a sort of general sense. It's one option. This is one theory. Now, there's other theories available. Like I said, the no-God theory, and there's all kinds of the multi-universe theory. Christians are people who have decided that a universe with no God, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's, it's not coherent. It's not rational. It's, it's, it doesn't organize itself in a way that, I don't know, really is very satisfying to logic. And so we put our faith thoughtfully into a biblical system that rationally accounts for what we see. Okay, that's all just one big example of the main point here, which is where are you going to put your faith? The cosmological category is just one of many things in which a person has faith and where do you place it? Let's, let's, uh, let's broaden the categories a little bit. Pick a topic in your life. Pick any topic at all. Anybody have an idea of a topic? Are you paying attention? Anybody? Anybody? Gravity. Gr- gravity. Thank you. Gravity. The gravitational force. How did that get there? Uh, talk about it. Make it even more personal. How about like uh, your marriage or your parenting or your job? or your relationships, or your future, or your vocation, or your calling, or your retirement. Any topic at all, and just then ask the question as you consider it, well, what am I gonna put my trust in when this thing is at the forefront of my mind? What am I trusting in? Just pick a topic. Now, I'll tell you one that we've got, Christy and I, for 2018, just as an example. We, uh, Christy and my wife, we've been married 22 years this last month, and we have two kids. Aiden is almost 17. He's 16. He's almost 17. And then Karis, our daughter, is 15. She just turned 15 last week. So we need a lot of prayer. We need a lot of prayer. Yeah, we just no, our kids are great. We love our kids. Our kids are, we just love, it's actually hard to put into words how much I love my kids. We love our kids. But they're at a crucial season in their life, aren't they? Because they're now in this sort of swing period, this fulcrum period, where it's starting to become time to, for themselves, grab hold of their own faith and not necessarily live off the fumes of their mom and dad's faith. Is anybody else in this season? Isn't this the scariest thing ever? 
And so we're trusting God, Christy and I, that Jesus will shepherd and guide them in this next year as they consider this thing called my faith and my future and my calling and my vocation and my relationships. And that's scary. I'll illustrate it this way. We were at uh, Joshua Tree National Park a couple of weeks ago. We had a couple of days away. This is a beautiful national park near uh, Palm Springs. It's our favorite national park. If you've ever been there, it's like going to Mars. You're just driving around and then boom, there's this piece of land, this massive 200,000 acre piece of land and it literally looks like it's from another just solar system. And we love traipsing around there. And it was a beautiful day and one of the, the main sites there is this little area called Hidden Valley. In Hidden Valley, you drive up to it and then you go in this little hike and it's this, it's this sort of horseshoe-shaped natural valley that's got rock croppings on all sides with this narrow little entry. And it's where the cattle rustlers used to hide their cattle that they would steal back in the old days. And what's cool about this is you go in and then there's this valley and it opens up and there's all kinds of these tumbling boulders that you can, you can climb and they go up like 30 stories. So we're at the back of this thing with the kids and all of a sudden they just disappear. And Christian and I are like, hey, where do the kids go? We're like, oh, sweet, maybe they, you know, <laughs> we can just take off without them, right? Uh, <laughs> and then about five minutes later, I look up, and there is Aiden. He's literally at the top. He's like 20 stories up, and he's just on this edge of this, the precipice of it. He's just waving like, hey, guys, hey, Dad, woohoo, you know? And, I, and I'm just like, how, how in the heck did he get up there, right? And it was a perfect metaphor because I was totally scared for his safety at the same time. But I also was like, yeah, that's right, that's my boy. <laughs> Heck yeah. Because we all want our kids to go farther than us, don't we? But we, don't we also, aren't we just scared to death about the process in which that may or may not happen? That's where we're at. That's where we're at, guys. And so we've got to have Jesus do some things in our kid's life that we can't. We need him to intervene. We need him to show up. We need him to move. And that's what we're trusting in. And at the same time, we're also trusting that we don't come off like those pushy, know-it-all, helicoptery parents that annoy all of us. What are you trusting for? What are you trusting in? Well, that's just one topic. And this is what, this is what Hebrews is teaching us. This is how faith works. In some cases, when we consider these items in our life, we have to then stop trusting in things that we've been looking to. We have to shift our faith and then place it in God's hands. And that's okay, by the way. That's normal. That's the process that we all go through. All right, so the question then here is where am I putting my faith? That's the practical point. Okay, can we take this? Can we take this truth? Can we take this and just kind of put it on the lower shelf for a second? Because I want to press forward just for a moment into uh, another part of this. And there's, there's some more about faith I think God wants us to, to understand here. So basically, the rest of chapter 11 in Hebrews is, is a series of personal case studies of actual historical people, different men and women, and how they lived out their lives and faced these faith challenges for themselves. And there, I think there's like 18 or 19 people mentioned by name, and, the, and then there's others mentioned anonymously. And I wanna, I wanna look at two of them. 
Uh, so skip over to verse eight, and we're gonna read about Abraham. This character, this man named Abraham. And let's read a few verses here. And we're gonna draw some more application. By faith, it says, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And by faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. And he lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For Abraham, verse 10, was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. A good part of the book of Genesis is devoted to Abraham. And he is an incredible person of faith. He's incredible. He's off the charts. In fact, uh, three world religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, they look to Abraham as sort of the father of their faith. His faith was so crazy big that the apostle Paul, elsewhere in the New Testament, describes Abraham. And Paul says this in the book of Galatians. He says, Abraham, Abraham is literally... Every single person who believes in Jesus is derived from Abraham. And so this room, which is filled with people who trust Christ, we have, we have our, like our lineage is, is, is terminated in Abraham. And then Paul, then Paul describes him as he's describing, he, he uses this phrase, Abraham is the man of faith. Now that's Paul saying this about Abraham. That is straight dope faith, all right? This is big, huge faith. He was a faith giant. Now, if you don't know much about him, go to Genesis later this week. From 12 to 25 is their story. But here it is in summary form. He started out not as a man of faith. He was actually an idol worshiper, he and his family, and they were living on the eastern edge of the Fertile Crescent, which is sort of where Syria and Iraq kind of merge near the river Euphrates in the Middle East. And essentially they're living there and then God shows up one day and says, hi, I'm the Lord, get out. And Abraham does and Sarah, they do, they leave. They leave their father's house and they go, they just go. And God says in this like short little conversation, oh, by the way, I just want you to go and I'll show you later where uh, I want you to end up. But for now, just get out. Now, that's one thing, sometime later, God shows up to Abraham again and says, okay, all right, you've gone out. Now, I'm gonna give you this land that you see. Like, check it out. Look all around. I'm giving you this land as your inheritance. And Abraham's like, okay, cool. I'm in. Count us in. Are we in? Family, we're in. And then God doesn't do that at all until Abraham dies. And then a third time, God promises Abraham and Sarah that they're gonna have a son together, which was also incredible because they had struggled with infertility their whole lives. They, did, they couldn't have kids. And so again, they both say, okay, God, we would love to have a kid. We don't know how that's possible, but fine. And then they both wait for two and a half decades for that to happen. You get the picture here? You get to see why Abraham's such a, he's just so heralded as this man of faith. Each situation that God puts them in requires such great faith and they meet that challenge over and over again. Now, here's what I wanna do. I want you to look back down at your Bibles and look at the passage that we just read again. That's verses eight through 11 or 10, excuse me. 
And I want you to circle or note all of the action words that describe Abraham, okay, the verbs. Now, if you're using one of the auditorium Bibles, hey, go ahead and circle it because the next person will figure out, hey, what's going on here? It'll help them later. (laughs) Circle what Abraham did, something tangible that he did. Now, when you go through this exercise, you're gonna circle that word obeyed. You're gonna highlight that word went. And then that little phrase, he made his home. He lived in tents, he did something. He did something, didn't he? He lived in tents, and then it says he looked forward. He looked forward, he looked into the future. There's something tangible that he did. It seems like, doesn't it, that Abraham was always doing something. Wasn't Abraham always doing something about living the implications of his faith? If you go back again and read and study in the source material in Genesis, you'll see that Abraham was always doing, he was going somewhere, he was moving his flocks, he was buying some property, he was rescuing his dumb nephew, he was fighting some pagan kings, he was, you know, he was just, he was digging a well, he was building, he was goofing up, he was goofing up. The Bible's really honest. Whenever you do things for God, you're gonna make a mistake, and Abraham made some doozies. Abraham was living out the implications of his faith in action, and here's the principle that I want you to just drop this in, and that is faith always produces actions. Faith always produces actions. Faith isn't stagnant permanently. Faith isn't something completely that's internal. Faith is like a healthy, vibrant faith, you're gonna see some visible like, activity from your life that's directly derived from your faith somehow. Jesus taught about this. He calls that fruit. There's gonna be fruit from your life, just like a tree. You can see what kind of a tree it is because you can see the fruit. You can point to the fruit. You can taste the fruit. Faith always produces fruit. This is what Abraham the professor of faith teaches us in the classroom. This is the theme of his life. His faith causes him to take actions in response to God's leading. Now I wanna ask you this question. When you consider the beauty of Hebrews 11, if you've ever looked at it, if you haven't looked at it, you see all these people of faith. Do you think Abraham would have been included in this chapter if his faith had produced no tangible difference in his life? Like what if God had appeared to Abraham, hey, I want you to move out. Move out of your dad's house. Stop sleeping on your dad's couch. Get out, man. Get out. Have some faith. I'm gonna show you a place later, a new land that I'm gonna give you. And guess what? From you and your wife are gonna come an entire nation of people. Millions of people are gonna spring from you and I'm choosing you to do this. And imagine if Abraham's like, oh my goodness, that's so great. Oh, God, I believe you. This is an incredible future that you have shown me. And then he doesn't budge. He doesn't move. He stays at dad's house. He never moves a muscle. He never takes a risk. He never obeys his calling. He never looks up in the night sky and hears God tell him, Abraham, those millions of stars you see represent the millions of people that will be derived from you one day. That would be, that would be just an incomprehensible tragedy You know, the the, the passage we just read, it doesn't say, by faith, Abraham lived a secret life of faith that was carefully privatized, largely internal, and mostly theoretical. It doesn't say that, does it? Now, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. I want us to apply this. It's very simple, the application. I want you to fill in the blank of this sentence. Because I believe, I will 
What is your verb? What is your action? What will you do in the next 12 months in response? Something visible, something, something external as a result of your faith. What is God asking you to do? Now, some of you are already like, oh, I already have this down. And you're just like, boom, you're connecting with this. All you needed was a little bit of a nudge with this message to look at sort of destagnifying your faith. That's a word, destagnifying. It is right now. And, and so this is all you need. And others of you, you're like, okay, well, I have to think about this. I need to pray this through. This is a, this is a ponderous question. This is something that I think I'd really like to take seriously. Guess what? That's also an activity. That's also a step forward. God is wanting us to practically take and make forward progress this year. This is what Abraham's life teaches us. Faith produces action. What will that be for you? Let's, let's, can we put that on the lower shelf? The cookies are on the lower shelf today. Can we put that on the lower shelf? We want to talk about Sarah for just a minute. Sarah, she has something to teach us as well. Here's what it says. Go back to verse 11. Actually, I'm going to just read this on the screen. Here it is on the screen. It says, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered God faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man and woman, and this is the words of the, and they as good as dead. They were so old. They was as good as dead. Don't you love that honesty? Man, you so old, you as good as dead. <laughs> Came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. What a beautiful verse. Sarah is a hero of the faith. She's a heroine. She, she's incredible. She had so much faith. Man, she put up with Abraham. You, you read the things that Abraham did. He was such a knucklehead. And Sarah stayed so faithful to him. And on top of that, she trusted God. She believed God in her own right. She's in Hebrews chapter 11. She's in, we call this the hall of faith. All these incredible sort of people, models that we look to, she's in there. But let me tell you something. Her journey was not very smooth. Her journey was not very smooth at all. She hit some rough patches. A long time had passed after the initial promise that God had made Abraham and Sarah about having a son. and it didn't happen. So the promise was given, and it didn't happen. Winter, spring, summer, fall, no kid. Winter, spring, summer, fall, no kid. Winter, spring, summer, fall, no kid. Spring, summer, fall, no kid. Anybody, you, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> do you not understand patterns? Is that it? Okay, we'll do that again sometime. I mean, year after year after year after year. The promise and then nothing, 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 and then nothing. And after a while, it says that skepticism and doubt started to creep into Sarah's heart. Because why? Because she's just, that's how any of us would be. That's how any of us would be in that situation. And the Bible is brutally honest with her journey. There's this curious story in Genesis 18 that illustrates this. It had been 24 years since the promise had been given. And she and Abraham are in this tent, their house. And these three guys come over for dinner. And the guys were God and two angels, we guess. And Abraham and the Lord are having a conversation. And the Lord says, by this time next year, Sarah will have a son. And Sarah's hearing this. 
She's overhearing this because this is patriarchal. So she's kind of off to the side. And when she hears it, the Bible says she just starts laughing. And it's not, a, this, is a, this is a tough laugh. This is like a laugh that's got some pain in it. It's like a, <laughs> okay, 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 yeah, thanks. Do you, do you not realize it has been decades since you had initially promised this? Why are you even here? Why are you stirring this up in my heart again? Do you realize how long I have waited for this promise and it's never come? I am 89 years old, man. Do you not see? Hey, God, God, hello. Do you not see this? And there is this honest, just caustic response to the reiteration of this promise. And I get it. I totally get it. Because she's just being real. What's happening here? Sarah's response is teaching us something extremely important that we need to learn about faith. We need to understand this about faith. And that's this. Faith makes you vulnerable to disappointment. Does anybody here know what I'm talking about? Faith makes you extremely vulnerable. Trusting God makes you susceptible to what? A big, fat letdown. Hope unguards your heart. And man, your heart can get stepped on. Because why? Well, the, the minute that you give away trust and you put it in God's hands, you give away control like you ever had it in the first place. But nonetheless, you give away the illusion of control. And when you give away control, that's faith, but you automatically set yourself up for the thing that you're trusting in to not happen at all, or number two, happen very differently than you had hoped for. Or thirdly, just be delayed so long that you just lose interest. That can be incredibly disappointing. Oftentimes, okay, if you, if you look at and meet people who are running away from God, a lot of times it's not because they just got into sort of materialistic atheism. You know what it is? A lot of times it's because the powerful emotion of disappointment has just so dominated their heart that they have to protect themselves from hoping in God again. I've tried at some point to believe. In fact, at one point in my life, I really put myself out there. I really trusted God. And the thing that I was looking for God to intervene in, he didn't come through for me. And I don't think I've ever recovered from that. And then what happens is the walls come up and you close your heart off to God. Some of us are there today. Some of you hearing my voice, watching this online, that's where you're at. You're like, yeah, that's totally me. In fact, when I started to talk about faith, for those of you who were there, you were just like, oh, brother, faith. I don't want to hear about this. And skepticism and doubt can kind of creep in and harden and take things over. Well, here's the good news for us is that Sarah had this too. And then at 90 years of age, she gave birth to her son. And it says right after he was born, she's holding her son in her arms. And it says she laughs again. She's laughing again. And this time it's not the same kind of laugh. It's a laughter of joy. 
And then she names her son Isaac. You know what the name Isaac means in Hebrew? Laughter, yeah. Just like Sarah, your story is not over yet. It's not. It's not over yet. If, if you're still alive, then your story of faith is still being written. And yes, many of us, if not all of us who've trusted in God, things have not worked out. But here's what we know, is that God always, 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 always is faithful. He's always faithful. He is. And Sarah's process of faith included doubt and skepticism. The presence of doubt in your life does not mean you're not a person of faith. You know what it means? It just means you're a person. So even our heroes went through times like this. And that's why I love passages like Hebrews 11, because it gives regular folks like me and you permission and space to not be perfect as God writes our own stories of faith. And so as we approach the next 12 months, I'm gonna pray today that we grab hold of faith in such a way that God blows the lid off our lives and blows the lid off of our church community and does things in us and through us that 10 years from now, we're gonna be like, remember 2018? That was when things changed. That was when things pivoted. That was when I really trusted God in new ways and he met me like I never knew he could. And for some of us, even an incremental step in that direction is positive. And that's what I'm praying for today. So let's close this out. Let's take all these cookies off the lower shelf and let's put them right here and let's trust God for him to do things in us and through us so that, man, we can't help in a year to look back and be just mind blown, mind blown. Let's pray for that right now. Okay, so Lord, we've got a lot to pray about as we look at the next 12 months, but what we're really asking for, Jesus, is to give us, Lord, the faith that it's gonna take to see you move. Lord, you love faith in people. You respond to faith. With faith, we actually please your heart. And so, God, we're praying for an abundance of faith in our lives. And for some of us, that means that what we need to do is shift where we've been trusting, where we've been leaning, and then put that onto you instead. And for others of us, it simply means that we need to be healed of the brokenness of the past when we've trusted you. And so we're asking for that right now. We're asking, Jesus, that you would heal that part of us that's protecting ourselves against you and trusting and believing again. You are always faithful, God. Lord, we just love you and we want to see you move through us, Lord, and move through our church. And there's no way that's gonna happen unless we step out and believe. And so give us that gift here today. Lord, give us the gift of faith and may you move in us and through us like never before. Lord, I love you, we love you, and we thank you for your holy word, and we thank you that it causes us, oh my goodness, to think big dreams. And Lord, we just trust you now in all these ways, and we said the prayer of faith in Jesus' name, amen, amen.